A former U.S. Marine Corps fighter pilot arrested in Australia. He previously worked in China, training Chinese pilots. Australia taking a new step to counter China, a decision to boost military spending and increase aid for Pacific countries. Uyghurs suing the British government. Their complaint? Some UK companies allegedly sourcing cotton products tied to forced labor in China. Beijing getting a foothold in Europe's third largest port. What's behind the interest? A closer look at China's global ambitions linked to seaports. And protect American liberty from communist ideology. That's the message from a survivor who escaped North Korea's communist regime. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer, a former U.S. Marine Corps fighter pilot arrested in Australia on Friday. He now faces extradition to the United States after having previously worked in China. Australian federal police took him into custody on request from the United States. Daniel Dugan, a former U.S. citizen, was arrested in New South Wales. He appeared in court the same day and was denied bail. His next court appearance is set for November in Sydney, where any bail applications will be considered. The details of the U.S. arrest warrant and the charges he faces are sealed. An aviation source told Reuters that the FBI sought Dugan because of his work in China. The arrest came shortly after Britain warned dozens of former military pilots to stop working in China or face prosecution on national security grounds. The U.K. says their military pilots, both current and former, are being lured into China by large payment offers. After they arrived, they've been asked to train the country's armed forces. The U.K. Ministry of Defense said it believes up to 30 former British military pilots are currently providing training in China, and that numerous others have been approached, including some currently serving in the military. According to what an unnamed official told a group of British journalists, the training isn't about Chinese pilots learning to fly Western jets. Instead, the goal is reportedly to get experienced Western pilots to help develop Chinese military air force tactics and capabilities. The British pilots involved in the situation have been linked to a flying school in South Africa. In a statement, the school said no classified information had been passed from these British military pilots to the Chinese side through their training. But General David Stilwell, former U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian and Pacific Affairs, said it could still trigger national security concerns. If we have our own people teaching them how to accomplish these things, that's that's a very negative uh, outcome. And the PRC is very good at extracting information. That, dragging these people into giving away more and more and saying more and more of things that they actually shouldn't be talking about. The British government said it was taking decisive steps to stop China's pilot recruitment. Australia is boosting its defense spending and aid for the Pacific region. It released plans Tuesday for an 8% increase in defense spending. The budget also proposes $570 million in aid for Pacific Island nations and almost $300 million for Southeast Asia. The increased funding aims to counter China's growing influence in the region. On top of that, Australia and Japan signed a new security agreement over the weekend. This move appears to have upset China. Beijing's foreign ministry warned the two countries should not start a what it described as a new Cold War group. Australia and Japan recently bolstered security ties in response to China's growing military strength in the region. 
As part of the deal, Japan's military would train with Australian Defense Force personnel. The U.S., South Korea and Japan are sending a warning to North Korea. They say an unparalleled scale of response would be necessary if North Korea conducts a nuclear test. That's according to the vice foreign ministers of the three countries who met on Wednesday. Washington and its allies believe North Korea could be resuming nuclear bomb testing for the first time since 2017. This after North Korea launched several ballistic missiles earlier this month, including an intermediate-range ballistic missile that flew over Japan. The South Korean Navy, Marine Corps and Air Force responded on Wednesday, conducting an amphibious landing drill. It's part of a joint drill with U.S. troops, happening from October 17th to the 28th. An update on the pandemic in Beijing. Universal Beijing Resort announced new COVID-19 measures on Wednesday. Its Universal Studios theme park, CityWalk shopping zone and two hotels will be temporarily closed. The company made the announcement on social media platform Weibo, saying the decision was made to support epidemic prevention and control. The park didn't give details on when it would reopen again, but said to refund or reschedule tickets. The news comes amid a rise in infections in Beijing, although China has been following its strict zero-COVID-19 policy. It's the second time this year that the theme park has been forced to close its gates. After the resort's first closure, it reopened in June for the summer season. A Chinese company is reportedly making surveillance cameras that can detect a person's ethnicity and whether they're part of certain minority groups, like Uyghurs and Tibetans. NDD's Sean Marshall has more details. Chinese CCTV, or closed-circuit television, has taken racial profiling to a new level. Four types of surveillance cameras have the capability to identify race, skin color, Uyghur and Tibetan faces. According to a U.S. video surveillance research organization, Internet Protocol Video Market, or IPVM, reports that these cameras are made by Dahua Technology. See, IPVM says that the surveillance cameras can identify Uyghurs from within a crowd and issue Uyghur warnings to Chinese police, helping them to arrest Uyghurs quickly. This is the online police model touted by Dahua Technology to enhance the police's prediction, early warning, and prevention capabilities. In China, security cameras are everywhere you could imagine, even in company restrooms. Estimates put the number of security cameras in China somewhere between 500 and 700 million. Recently, Dahua Technology admitted to IPVM that the four-camera product webpages did exist. But they declared that it was deeply troubled and concerned that the camera's appearance on its own website had already launched an investigation. In October 2019, Dahua Technology was placed on the sanction list by the U.S. Department of Commerce. Sean Marshall, NTD News. The British government is being sued over a human rights violation in China. Exiled Uyghurs say the U.K. failed to investigate imports of cotton products allegedly linked to forced labor camps. The camps are set to target Uyghurs in China's Xinjiang region, also known as East Turkestan. The World Uyghur Congress warns there is a high risk that cotton products sourced from some Chinese businesses by U.K. companies could be produced by prison or forced labor. We are challenging the U.K. custom authorities for their um, failure to address um, the 
import of um, cotton products coming uh, specifically from our region, um, the Uyghur region um, that we refer to as East Turkestan. Um, all governments around the world have an obligation to prevent um, their complicity in, in atrocity crimes around the world and forced labor is definitely one and this is uh, why we're here today to challenge the UK um, government and uh, custom authorities. The Munich-based non-governmental organization says factory laborers in Xinjiang are subjected to detention and coercion. Its lawyer accuses the UK government of declining to engage in evidence collected since 2020. But the government's lawyers said it was a hypothetical case based on generalized evidence, with the National Crime Agency concluding there was insufficient material to develop a criminal investigation. A controversial deal is getting a resolution inside one of America's strongest allies in Europe. Germany has been weighing whether to let a Chinese shipping giant take a stake in the country's largest seaport, called the Port of Hamburg. The result? The German cabinet on Wednesday approved an investment by China's Costco for a nearly 25% stake in one of the port's main terminals. The Chinese side originally wanted a 35% stake, worth over $60 million. The Chinese buyer is a subsidiary of China's state-owned Costco shipping, which supports China's navy. It already holds stake in Europe's two largest ports. One is located in the Netherlands, another in Belgium. The port of Hamburg in Germany is the third largest. It's also one of Europe's biggest trade hubs with China. In 2020, almost a third of the containers in that port came from or are headed to China. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz favors the deal. It's not about selling the port, as in Zeebrugge or Piraeus. At most, it's about a share. It's about a share in one terminal, as is the case in some Western European ports. But several ministries are opposing it over security concerns. That includes economy, defense, foreign and interior. Overall, it is important that we have learned that dependencies on countries that may then play their own interests into these dependencies and then want to blackmail us are no longer just an abstract phenomenon. But look at gas in Russia, our reality in this world. We should not repeat these mistakes. German logistics firm HHLA is the entity that would sell the stake to the Chinese company. It noted earlier that the Costco subsidiary would have no right to make any significant decisions about its port, given it would only hold stake in a terminal. Supporters of the deal say it will allow the Hamburg port to keep pace with its rivals, which are also vying for Chinese trade. China's interest in seaports doesn't stop at Europe. Chinese companies also hold stake in the ports in five U.S. cities, Miami, Houston, Long Beach, Los Angeles and Seattle and other almost 100 ports around the globe. Although those ports are for commercial use, the Chinese military have visited over 30 of them. A North Korean survivor is urging Americans to protect their liberty and defend against communist ideology in the U.S. The Heartland Institute awarded the Liberty Prize to Yunnan Park last week. Park escaped starvation and oppression in North Korea at the age of 13. On October 21, the Heartland Institute awarded the Liberty Prize to Yeonmi Park. Park escaped starvation and oppression in North Korea at the age of 13. As a human rights activist, she urges Americans to protect their liberty from communist ideologies in the U.S. In North Korea, children even eat mud. That's what true 
true starvation and oppression looks like. Park thought her fight for freedom was over after fleeing from North Korea and surviving sex slavery in China. But she says her experience attending Columbia University in New York brought back memories of dictatorship. At Columbia, they say, I cannot say the word white because it's oppressive to some people. In North Korea, they did the exact same thing. They removed the word like human rights and freedom and free market. Park says the prevalent woke culture is a communist tactic to divide people. And the professor telling you that we need to stay woke because the enemies, the systemic oppression is everywhere. Exactly what North Korean regime does, making us paranoid, making people not trusting each other to divide people. Park says the socialist promise of equity is a false hope to resolve poverty. But people in America get so brainwashed to think somehow Inequality is our enemy. Do you want to be dirt poor or at the same time and starving instead? It's a great thing that you can rise. There's a mobility in the social class. The enemy is poverty, not inequality. The audience at the award ceremony echoed Park's concerns. She is a canary in the coal mine for the future that all of us who value life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness uh, face if we do not wake up, realize that freedom is not free. And if we can't, can't talk about our differences, can't have different opinions, I mean, where does it go? <laughs> it's, it's very dangerous, very dangerous. Park says that Americans grew up with freedom, but many don't understand what it really means or what life looks like without it. She hopes her story will inspire Americans to preserve their liberty. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. Next, a former U.S. military cyber officer is taking aim at social media app TikTok. He says it's one of the Chinese communist regime's most powerful weapons to manipulate Americans, particularly the younger generations. American thought leaders host Yanya Kellek sat down with Nicholas Shalon, former chief software officer of the U.S. Air Force and Space Force, to find out more. I was just reading that there's more viewing time of TikTok now than there is of YouTube by Americans, which is just kind of unbelievable to me. This is what you say about TikTok. You say it is potentially the most powerful weapon of mass manipulation and misinformation ever created by the CCP. Okay, so that, that's a big statement. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you look at what the CCP has been doing for many years now, information and the control of information is probably the cornerstone of uh, being able to push their agenda to uh, the American people. And so what you're going to find is now 40% uh, of kids under 24 uh, are using TikTok as uh, the way to search uh, for, for information. So you can imagine that it enables the CCP now to control what you're going to get to see, what you're going to be able to uh, find out about, and uh, potentially censor information as well. When you start compounding the data aspect and knowing the people and what they think, what they like, what they are watching, and the ability to promote content and filter content, that's where you're going to see things like what we've seen with the labs in China with the COVID-19 virus, where effectively China was powerful enough to convince American companies to ban the discussion around whether or not the virus came from um, China's lab. And you can imagine now that if they control the main platform of information used by kids under 24, 
they don't have to ask anybody. They can just decide to ban it themselves. Coming up, more on TikTok's dangers from Nicholas Shalon. He details how the Chinese Communist Party is using the data gathered through the app to boost artificial intelligence and to ultimately develop more advanced weapons. When you hear the DoD talk about focusing on climate change and uh, focusing on domestic terrorism as the number one threat, that's just plain nonsense. If China is not the number one threat, I don't know where these people have been living, but they're not in this, on the same planet. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Nicholas Shalon, former chief software officer of the U.S. Air Force and Space Force, says manipulating Americans is just the beginning of TikTok's dangers, adding that the Chinese Communist Party is also gathering enormous amounts of data, from voice recognition to facial mapping, and using it to boost its fighting capabilities and AI weapons. Here's more from him. In terms of the gathering of this information, you know, there's all sorts of possible uses. You were you were discussing a fake payment system. Do you mean like basically now they have your biometrics that you would use to access your phone and so forth? So in the future, you know, it might not have anything to do with TikTok. Someone wants to impersonate you. They've got the goods to impersonate you. Basically, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it's multifaceted, right? You can think of uh, the ability to infiltrate American companies. Let's say you want to steal some technology from an American company. Uh, you're going to be able to know exactly what the people behind the company like, what they're listening to, what books they read, right? So now you can pretend to be their friends, having the same uh, passions, right? So you can show up as a, an intelligence group. You can you can re-engage with those people and have a, a, a deep relationship uh, thanks to the information you gather, right? So it's, it's, it's really enabling them as an intelligence community to have access to pretty much everything about, um, you know, probably 40% plus of uh, uh, America. So it's, it's really very significant. I, I don't think there is any kind of technology ever that's been able to gather that kind of volume of information about people so they can pinpoint down to individuals in a company uh, for cyber attacks, right? You can now target people. Uh, like you said, on the face and the voice prints, you can literally start using this for deep fakes. Uh, so you can generate fake videos of people uh, with their voice, with their face, saying things that they've never said. That could be used for many different uh, use cases. They download all your contacts from your phone, all the applications installed on your phone. Um, you know, they, they, they potentially have access to biomet biometrics as well, so it could be uh, all the way to, to fingerprints. I mean, this is, this is really giving effectively entire access to your life. And when you, th when you take a step back and you think back of how you use your phone on a day-to-day -day basis for banking and healthcare and email access and everything you do on your phone today, um, you're effectively giving uh, the entirety of your life information to the CCP. So why do we care? We care because um, with the volume of data we're talking about, this is what's going to be powering the next generation of artificial intelligence and machine learning weapons. And not just for um, you know, basic use cases of uh, spying on people and tracking, you know, tracking faces and things like that, but it's also now being used for the next generation uh, weapons of actual uh, physical weapons. Well, so what is the relationship? Maybe you can sort of expand on this. What is the relationship with the amount of data and how is that connected with these 
actual, the use of actual weapons. It's not obvious. The more volume of data you have and the, the pace is so important when it comes to teaching and training AI models. So the, the AI models are able to, just like you see with Tesla, right? They are gathering so much data coming from the cars to be able to uh, optimize the self-driving features of the car. And they're capturing uh, information about uh, everything uh, around the surrounding of the car, what's happening in, in real life, people crossing, dogs, pets, anything, right? At, at first, you may even think some of the data they're gathering doesn't really matter when it comes to the, the car itself, the, uh, the ability to detect proactively uh, maintenance issues. So, so all these items are really enabling the AI to become better and faster. And, and then it's, it's, it's a compounded, compounded uh, effect. The more data you have, the faster you can train, the faster you train, and the faster you deploy in real life with real use of that AI capability, the more it's going to learn. And so the more data you have, the just better capability you can end up building. And that becomes part of uh, pretty much every aspect of life. When we put AI on a jet in the Air Force with very basic AI uh, capabilities, we were able to see that uh, the AI was able to defeat the human pilots every single time. Why? AI is able to, to do things that the human brain is not able to comprehend. And um, it's, it's also, obviously, the, in the use case of the pilot, it doesn't care about its own safety. And so it's going to take risks and do things that uh, pilots are taught not to do, both for their safety and the safety of the aircraft. But uh, effectively, uh, the AI is able to toe with the line at, at a much more granular way that a human would not be able to even comprehend because the, the human brain does not have the capacity of uh, analyzing all this data and understand what's going on in real time. It's just too much and too, too soon and too fast for the human brain to handle. So let me get this straight. This mass data gathering, which effectively TikTok facilitates for the CCP, is directly useful for the CCP in terms of developing warfighting technology. It's used for every aspect of artificial intelligence, machine learning, AI weapons. It's gonna, it's gonna really empower them, both in terms of spying, stealing intellectual property, which is, by the way, uh, something that is vastly underreported. The FBI director uh, finally came out after overclassifying this issue for years, uh, disclosing that uh, you know what we see coming from the CCP when it comes to uh, the CCP targeting American companies and stealing both. Uh, IP through um, actual uh, individuals embedded inside of companies in the U.S., but also through uh, cyber means, has never been as high as it is. Hundreds of new cases a day uh, opened um, by the FBI because of breaches. Why do you think that America somehow is asleep at the wheel here? Well, I think uh, the, the first aspect is you, you, you're going to find that Congress still struggle to turn on their phone, let alone understand the, the power of data. And so, uh, and so I think that the first step is going to be about awareness. Um, we also overclassify these issues way too much. You see, you've seen the DOD and the, the FBI uh, with the DOJ overclassify these. Um, and, and effectively, Americans are not even tracking the issues. And so I always felt that... Uh, if we were just to disclose a little bit more about volumes of attacks and, and the, the means of attacks, we don't need to disclose the who and the, and the what. But if we can just disclose what's happening um, and really raise awareness, I think that would be the biggest impact. Because what you're going to see is American companies stepping up and willing to come and help 
the U.S. government to do better. What you see right now is most companies refusing to do business with the DoD when, of course, in China they don't have a choice, so they're going to get access to best-of-breed uh, commercial capabilities. So effectively, if you look at the commercial side, uh, the commercial American companies are leading compared to the Chinese companies, but the U.S. government particularly the DOD, is behind because we don't have access to best-of-breed American companies, where the CCP has access to best-of-breed Chinese. To watch the full interview with Nicholas Shalon, former chief software officer of the U.S. Air Force and Space Force, please visit the American Thought Leaders program on AppWalk TV or click the link down below if you're watching online. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Thanks for watching. But before you go, here's a short glimpse into this Thursday's special report. A new leader for life? Following in the footsteps of Chairman Mao, one of the most brutal communist leaders the world has seen, is history about to repeat itself with Xi Jinping? In this special report, we look at what Xi Jinping's third term means for China and the world, what America can expect going forward, and if the free world is about to be embroiled in war.